Gaming and BS episode 315, being recorded Monday, October 19th. 19th? It's the 19th. 2020! Welcome to Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Glad everybody's on board. Sean, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing well, Brett. How are you? Not too bad. I've been, uh, it's that time of year where I try to be in the woods as much as I can, like hunting and all that stuff. So trying to scoot out there. And uh, what that means is I'm oftentimes cold, wet, uncomfortable, which I don't mind. But. Aggravates the hell out of my allergies, I'll tell you that, when I get back in the house. So, I apologize for that. Did you get any gaming in last week, man? Anything cool? Uh, I gamed uh, Stars Without Number on Tuesday. We did not game on Saturday or Sunday of this past week. So, no no uh, fantasy, low fantasy, which is interesting since we had a TPK like two weeks ago. I got to figure out, like, you know, Hobbs is a mention we should probably re- I think maybe we did we did create new tunes. I totally forgot. Uh, so that'll continue. And then this Saturday, I'm playing Curse of Strahd, Session Dose. Um, and I'm pretty heavily prepped, actually. I did cool. quite a bit of prep, man. Yeah, man. You, clar- you clarify things with the crew for Strahd, so they're... Are we on board? Are we happier? You know, Brett... It's getting closer? Sometimes it's not about... Me being happy as the dungeon master because you know I'm the dungeon master. If the players are having a good time, you're gonna have a good time, right? If the players are having a good time, I'm gonna have a good time. There we go. I like right. It. So yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Last week for me, it was Undermountain. My buddy Alpha ran that, and I, uh, my dwarven uh, thief, uh, found a really kick-ass magical sword. Apparently, it has an ego, and uh, it's intelligent. It's a sort of sharpness. Blah blah blah. My character is a charisma of eight, <laughs> so I'm waiting to see what happens when it wants to do something I don't want to do. It was it was entertaining because I normally, as a character, I'm not super big on like, oh, I have to have this magic item. Ooh, 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 ooh. I just lucked in to be the guy that pulled it out of the dead dragon. Well, there's a sword here. That's kind of cool. I, I'm the only one that can identify stuff because I'm, uh, I can't remember the uh, the rogue uh, subclass, the spell casting. Shit. Arcane Trickster. There we go. So I've got a couple of spells, and whatever. So there was a couple of people at the party that went, uh-huh, but your, your character's a dwarf. It's an elven blade. I'm like, yep, don't care. I like it. It's stuck. With, I'm stuck with it. <laughs> I haven't had a really kick-ass powerful magic item in a long time, so it's kind of fun to have one. That was fun. And I alluded to this before I got on the mics, but I had wrapped up my Avalon campaign with my home group. We, every other Tuesday, one was me, one of them was Alpha, and he's running a... Uh, the uh, the Undermountain game, so I decided to do something a little bit different, way throwbacky. I'm going to do a Greyhawk, old school Greyhawk, as in first edition AD&D, and uh, the little banner behind me, for those of you watching, the uh, Grand Duchy of Jeff is where we will be starting the campaign, right between the Oitwood and the Dim Forest, so should be interesting, should be interesting. I got a couple of them are like, oh, wow, that'll be, wow, oh, that takes me back. Got a, I've got a couple Greyhawk fans in the group. I have a couple other people that are like, yeah, but I don't have a search check to roll all the time. I have to. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So I'm excited. 
I am a little bummed out because I got the uh, the notice from uh, Beetle and Grimm that their Platinum Edition of Ram of the Frostman is slightly delayed. Um, but the cool thing is, of course, they go, oh, we have this, 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 basically one last thing. Everything will be shipped within the first week of November. So it's coming. I'm like, great, cool, very good. Very, very good. In the meantime, I have been, Sean, reading up a little bit here and there through Rhyme of the Frostman via the um, the D&D Beyond access that they that I got with it. So I'm still pretty jazzed about it. And I mentioned this to you as well. You and I have plans to run it together online, do a little compare contrast type of thing. And I think I have uh, convinced my son AJ to play. So I think that would that could be fun. I feel like it was fun for me. Edge. Yeah. Affectionately known as Edge. No one calls him that, but okay. I um, do. Yeah. <laughs> that's until that's until he beats Sean up, and then Sean stops calling him that. Come on, I'm old. You can't beat up old guys. <laughs> sure you can. That's the best guy. That's the best guy to be old guys to beat up. But anyway, so I've, Sean, you and I haven't fi- we haven't figured out all the details of how we want to do that and so on and so forth. But I think it's in the works. It's in the making. It'll probably be after the holidays. We'll get all our shit together and make something happen. Something like that. Anything else, man? On that side? No, I think that's all. So for announcement-wise, we got Virtual Game Hocon. That's hitting. And I would be remiss to state, I threw this out in our Gaming BS forums, a little early heads up. Um, Todd, uh, the warden, got a hold of us and uh, got a hold of me over Twitter and said something well back about, hey, we should you should convert that whole Streets of Avalon to the PIP system, big guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sounds awesome. So, um, Phil Vecchione from uh, Encoded, myself, Todd, the Warden, and Eloy uh, from Third Eye Games got together, hashed it out, and said, yeah, sure, what the hell? Encoded's on board. We're going to get ourselves a little license, and I'm going to convert Streets of Avalon to the PIP system. Now, it'll take a little bit of time to make that happen. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. I like the PIP system. I like the... That kind of it has a more narrative approach. It's different, obviously, than 5e and so on. And I've often said that the setting works well with lots of different game systems. This is a great opportunity to take something that I like. I like the PIP system. I think it'd be a lot of fun to do it. And uh, like I said, I don't have the the dates, times, but I'll probably have to do some playtesting to muck about with this and so on. And I'm anticipating leveraging uh, some BSers to help me crunch through a couple scenarios. It might be like, at a, I don't know when again, but at a certain point, I'll probably reach out to folks and say, hey, I want to run a combat. I want to try this. I need someone to take this NPC and do something with it. Um, just to kind of play test stuff and knock it around a bit. So I think it should be fun. So more to come as I get details, but uh, I'm actually very proud of that. I'm pretty excited. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. And Aloy is just awesome. Third Eye Games, Eloy Lasanta, he's just a super cool dude. So. Super cool. And Sean, we have talked a while back about gaming conversions from generation to generation. And one of the things that uh, Todd brought up, he said, you know, you guys should do a, a show about that because Todd listens to us, obviously. And I'm like, hey, that's not a bad idea. Phil from Encoded, Encoded, this will be the second. Um, they have done Part-Time Gods, which was a Third Eye Games. They turned it into Fate. And now we'll be taking Eloy's PIP system and taking a 5e version of it and, again, doing some conversion stuff within the Third Eye Games property. So we'll probably get together some kind of a, how the hell are we going to do that? Um, And get some on-the-spot pointers and all that good stuff. So, again, 
eventually the show will happen but i think it'd be kind of cool sean so anyway there we go that's uh that's like the biggest coolest thing i got you got anything else on your side no ha i got way cooler stuff than you do you got nothing going on <laughs> ready for random encounter yeah man let's do random encounter let's go Random encounter, 2D, 2D4. <laughs> Where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. So yeah. I'll tell you what, man. I'll, I'll shut up. You start start the uh, motion. I think... Uh... Some guy called Sergeant Dan sent us something in about losing in RPGs. And he says he has a few thoughts. He said he edited for bad ums and mouth breathing. You can't be any worse than me, dude. So don't worry. I didn't take Sergeant Dan for being a mouth breather. That's all right. Carry on. I didn't even know he breathed. He's a Marine. Did they even breathe? They, I mean, they'll go gills, learn to breathe like a fish if they gotta. They're tough folks. I know, right? All right, here we go. I think. Brett, Sean, Sergeant Dan here just to let you know that I am alive and well. One Wisconsinite to a couple others. Transplanted here in lovely North Carolina. Listen to your last episode talking about loss in RPGs. I just went through that. Had a character die in a most egregious fashion through fucked up dice luck. The GM was very gracious in trying to mitigate as much of it as possible, but I ended up dying anyway. In the end, we ended up saying that the players were captured. One character did escape the issue, and we're bringing back other characters to rescue the original characters. My biggest complaint about character death is when I feel I have not told the story of the character. There has been several times where playing the character that I am, I was more than willing to let the character die. It seemed right. He was being heroic. He was in the middle of the rescues. He was rescuing other player characters at times. And this seemed appropriate to me. But, yeah, when dice luck and being overwhelmed by six giants, six fire giants, not good, not good at all. That's one thing about RPGs is we can mitigate the loss. Uh, one of the things in a session zero that I would want to have out there is about character death. What kind of game do we want to play? Is it hard, gritty? Yeah, you're going to die. I like rule systems and playing rule systems at times where you really have to think about pulling a weapon. Not every problem is a nail in search of a hammer. You know, you, you've got to start using your brain. You've got to think more realistically about the situations you're in. And violence has consequences. <laughs> Unlike most D&D murder hobo games where everything is nothing but a nail in search of a hammer. As a former active duty marine i know how to be an asshole the jarhead can't come out but the christian in me realizes you gotta treat people as you want to be treated yourself and one of the big things i do as a gm is to make sure that the player has told the story they wanted to tell with the character this is a cooperative storytelling hobby and if you don't get together to tell the story even in a pre-published module you're not going to have fun and it makes losing that much worse. God knows how many board games you play. Sorry. Any munchkin game where you, you know, semper foo, fuck your buddy type game. You know, after a while you, you get table flipping moments. Even Monopoly. But 
RPGs are meant to be a cooperative thing where you can mitigate the loss. You can fail forward. You can tell a better story with the loss. When a character dies, is this a good character death? And that is the key to what I think needs to be in a losing moment in an RPG. Is the losing moment worth the loss? That's my ideas anyway. Don't have too much fun. It will get you in trouble. Have a fun winter. I'm glad I'm in North Carolina. <laughs> have a good one, guys. Last Boom. poke right nice there. Nice little last <laughs> there. And it, and it snowed today. So uh. I'll tell you what, though. One of the things I like that Sergeant Dan is very clear there, and I like this idea because we've talked about, you know, fudging die rolls to save characters and so on. And if this is the type of game we want to play, right, if Dan's at the table and we, Sergeant Dan, what do you want to do? He's like, dude, I don't like to die unless we've told the story, so on. And that's what everyone at the table wants. Sometimes you can even give individual players one version of how their characters can die versus somebody else, depending, again, how the table wants to deal with it. But I like the, the way that Dan's outlined it here, where we're talking about, I'm not fudging die rolls just to save the character because, oh, what a pain in the ass it is if you died. Oh, you'll feel bad, blah, blah, blah underscoring and pinpointing the reason we don't want this to happen if we want because we want to tell a certain type of story we're waiting for a level of completeness whatever that may be sometimes it's nebulous sometimes it's like art you know it when you see it and when that character's hit a point i think then there's there's almost a sometimes a very overt or or uh i don't know some kind of a communication between player and game master saying hey you know we're good now. And it sometimes it just comes out in play. It really comes out in play. And you kind of exercise that muscle back and forth as you as you work with it. I've I've had other players in groups of mine, my home group and whatnot, do that type of thing in the past. Like, yep, I don't care if I die now. I've had people say that flat. I, I, this is everything I built for. The rest is gravy. Whatever happens from here on happens. I'm totally happy. This has been an awesome character. I know the adventure's not over. The campaign has more to go. But whatever happens is all cool by me now, Brett, because I'm good. So... Yeah, I think, again, it's a session zero type of thing. Hash that out. Talk it over. Sean, what do you think, man? Like it? No? Yeah, I do. And I think what rung uh, rung in my, my bell was the um, playing a game where pulling a pulling a weapon matters. Yeah, the that, first was a good, thing, that was a good piece. I like that. The first thing that kind of came to mind was Cold Shadows. Like, that's it's just not... I mean, whoever says bang first, like it's the shoot and draw, draw and shoot, and that's kind of it. You can still survive and, and get injured, but it's it's not that game. You don't shoot Honestly, dude, game. your Ravenloft game, Curse of Strahd, if you go through that and walk around with a big hammer looking, oh, monster, whack, oh, this thing, whack, you can, I've gone through that. You can miss a shit ton of cool role-playing opportunities and really interesting clues if you decide to light everything on fire because you got a match. So it's another similar similar type of thing. Huh. I like it. That was good stuff. Thanks, Dan. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks. That thanks, was great. Sergeant Dan. What else we got? All right. Craig hits us up with the show topic idea. All right. Here we go with Craig. Hey, guys. Craig here from Third Floor Wars. A relatively new listener, uh, but I have been doing some damage to your archive 
Uh, COVID pushed me to find role-playing games after a 20-year hiatus. Now, the one silver lining to this pandemic is I didn't realize how much I missed it, and it's great to be playing again. In fact, I'm now running three-plus games online for both friends and listeners to my podcast. I found the two of you a few months ago, and thank you for 300-plus episodes of great content. I feel like I'm just starting. I did have one thought. Would the two of you ever consider doing commentary on another GM's game? I'm imagining like a highlight show for sports. You grab clips of another actual play podcast recording, and you play them. And after each clip, the two of you discuss it. I can hear it now. Uh, Sean, uh, I like how she did X. Uh, Brett, did you notice how she did Y? Sean, that was interesting. I think she missed an opportunity to do something, etc. I would find it very interesting to hear you both Monday morning quarterback another GM's work. I know I would find it valuable, and I bet other BSers would too. Please keep up the good work. As a fellow content creator, I know what you're doing is hard and a true labor of love. Know that I, like so many others, really appreciate it. Keep it up, guys. Craig, that's awesome, man. Thank you very much for saying the kind words. That's that's really cool. Glad you're yeah, having thanks, fun, Craig. Glad you're having fun digging through the back catalog, dude. Wow, Monday morning QBN. That could be fun. It could be brutal too, right? You know, you know who you, I would do it. You know, whose game I would do get it. Get Hobbs. For. <laughs> Fucking Hobbs, man. I was like, oh, Hobbs is live. Fire it up. Uh, Fire up the stream, sit there and watch him, critique him. It'd be, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's kind of, it's interesting. Like almost, um. So much for Hobbs as being a friend. We, yeah, there we go. (laughs) Sean and I have talked about this, like kind of like a, um, it's almost, Sean, this kind of fits into our, we've talked about either on the show or off the show, this, this concept we've had about kind of interactive approach to how game mastering decisions are made on the fly in the instant, that type of thing. Now, granted, I have, I would be fine even, we could start with something as simple, innocuous as the Streets of Avalon actual play stuff that that I did. Ooh. Where you could go ahead and say, what the fuck did you do that for? What were you thinking? Why was that? And then talking about why you did it or why Brett did it or whatever. That could be interesting. Just why was that happening type of thing. That could be kind of fun. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a neat idea. Question is, do you need to know what the inside is? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you need to know, okay, here's the encounter as Brett's written it down and then he runs it and you go, wait a minute. Yeah, Brett doesn't write shit down, so good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. I mean. No, I know what you mean, though. It's like, no, it. oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Why Why did he go that route? Why did it, why didn't it or what you know? Yeah, I, I think I think it's the players that'll drive. Like if a player does something, it's going to drive it and switch things and gears and all that. The stuff. reason that comes to mind is because it's you and me talking about a thing that occurred in the past. Like Brett, why did you do that? Oh, I think it was because of blah blah blah. Couldn't you have done kind of a way to get your feet wet and that type of thing? Because otherwise, man, I don't know. I'd really want to make sure I didn't say something like Jesus Christ. What the is wrong with that person why in the hell did they do that it's dumb you know you don't want to be a complete douchebag <laughs> to people that could be interesting though huh i've not ever thought of doing it like that that's interesting thanks craig that's food for thought man i gotta think, figure out how the hell we can do that hmm all right that was good man anything else on that one or we want to move uh we'll go to the next one we'll go with matt v okay read it up all right you want me to read it now yeah 
All right, Matt V writes in comments actually on uh, losing in RPGs. So, hello, gentlemen. Great episode. I just wanted to touch on a few things. I usually ask during session zero about lethality they desire, as you discussed. As just my choice, I run decently lethal campaigns, not brutally so, but I'm going to catch some bodies during play. My go-to during a TPK or near TPK, like two-thirds or more, is to ask the players what they want to do. Almost every time the players want to retire the campaign. As a matter of fact, I can't think of a time they chose to continue it. On average, I run more story-driven games than character-driven games, so even if we lose most of the party, it's not necessarily a big deal to the story. It's actually one reason I tend to shy away from the character-driven stories. I hate when a character dies or doesn't show up for a session and it just kills that session slash quest. Which is interesting because I, through Curse of Strahd, I'm going through the characters' backgrounds and tying things into into each other. This is actually, Matt, I love this, man, because this is... This is insightful stuff. The the impact of character driven versus the larger story driver, so on and so forth. That's interesting. This this reminds me again, kind of like what Sergeant Dan had, like, hey, very crisp identifier of what and why. And Matt's coming at this from a similar type of approach. The difference between something that's character driven, like, oh, I need Lenny there because without Lenny, I don't get to everything hinges on him for the next day. And now he's not fucking there. What am I going to do? No, I like this. Keep going, man. Keep going. This is good stuff. Band of Blades has definitive loss scenarios. Gosh, darn it. I lost my spot again. Uh, Band of Blades has a definitive, definitive loss scenarios besides TPK, which I think is really cool. It's been a couple years since I browsed it and I don't remember them offhand. I heard the creator talking about it and how he thinks it's a giant shortcoming in tabletop RPGs in general, that there is no you lose in our games because in games you can lose. I'm not sure I agree 100%, but it did make me think about trying to include more you lose scenarios that didn't necessarily include TPKs. I haven't fully thought through it, but I do think it's something I want to start doing next campaign and something I'll lay down during session zero. I enjoyed the discussion on other loss, as that's pretty big in the industry. I don't think I've played a game without death being a type of loss, but I do try and include other types of loss. Often that loss is more painful than character death. Thanks very uh, thanks, very interesting episode. You know, Matt, one of the things that you bring up there and that this comes to mind with other options, we talked a lot about Call of Cthulhu, how you muck up and the bad guys carry on and get to do something. You don't necessarily die, but the world goes pear-shaped. Things occur. It's bad. Um, depending what you're doing, I used to do this back in my vampire days. And I still do this to a point is from the torture your player school, right? Oh, you have a DM, uh, DNPC, you know, a dependent non-player character. That's part of your character's background in your champions game or whatever game you have a dependent, huh? They're dead. How a horrible, gruesome, disgusting manner that you can't that you can't stop and you had to watch happen. Holy crap! You know it's it's rough on your character, and then you've got to go find vengeance or do something. Um, oh, you built up this huge financial empire as a vampire in Chicago. Guess what? I just took away from you money. Ow! Oh, you had the mayor under your thumb. No, you don't have the mayor anymore. What happened? the political gains and losses? Those types of things. Those are other huge. Loss components. We didn't touch on that, I don't think, as much in the show, but 
this um, your talk here, Matt, made me think about that. So thank you. That was good stuff. I love that idea. the The definition you have there, Matt, about character versus story driven games, I think, is worth. I gotta think some more on that. I like that. I like how you wrote that out. That's cool. Thank you. I figured if the players are okay with not dying and the GM is okay with that, then I think it's that it's you gotta you gotta hurt them other ways. Yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of eh, you know, like then you get to walk through everything. Yeah, but, I mean, eh, if, I'm not gonna die. Yeah, if th- that goes to my example with uh, with AJ, right? He's right. playing Diablo. It's just a grind. I'm gonna get to the end. But if you like, look, I have to retire this character. Why? Because uh, he's emotionally broken. He can't, he can't cope anymore. Or he leaves because, you know, this, that, or the other thing happened. This character's, I'm walking them away. I'll start over because they lost enough of something that they're broken. Well, what's the mechanical piece, right? I think even in mechanics, you know. That's, and honestly, dude, that's tough stuff because, and I know. Some people love having mechanics for everything. And I there's probably a game system out there where the mechanics of variant loss impacts your character in some way. I'm just not thinking of it. But for me, the most... Having people role-playing it, whether there's a mechanic or not, is very powerful. When somebody takes it, thinks about it, and says, this character has lost... You know, whoever's playing Spider-Man, when Aunt May dies, you know and decides that Spider-Man goes on a two-month bender and does not do anything or becomes the Spider-Punisher where it goes it's over the over an edge in one way or another for a period of time and has to have a redemption or a comeback story that that's awesome. You know, I don't you don't need a mechanic for it. Obviously, you can you can do all sorts of stuff without very specific mechanics. But if there is a tool out there that helps enforce that type of play, and I'm just not thinking of it off the top of my head. If somebody knows a tool or system that has them, that'd be great to hear about because that would be, if nothing else, something to big borrow and steal from <laughs> for a game that may not have it that you like playing. So anyway, I get what you're saying about mechanics, dude. I'm not poo-pooing it. You good? Good. All right. Shall I read Aaron's? You shall. Great. If Aaron emails us about losing, uh, Sean and Brett, thank you so much for the... Letter E and the kind words is a real confidence boost. I'm not sure if I'd ever GM for money, but I gladly write your show notes for free. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> we have a... May I take him up on that, man. <laughs> we have a rough time on that sometimes. Anyway, he continues. I've never thought about the topic of losing beyond the standard you can't win or lose in D&D, but I must say this topic was incredibly thought-provoking. My first thought is that this topic is the flip side of the coin to your easy wins topic from a few weeks ago. Ding! Aaron wins the no prize. He, he found he, it. He caught it. He's he on to you, Brett. He caught it. He's on to me. In other words, it's just one more tool in the GM toolbox, and therefore, uh, and, and therefore, there is a right and a wrong time to use it. In my mind, this topic has a nuance, is as nuanced as differences between the people it applies to. For some people, they play RPGs to avoid the sense of loss and failure. Some people think it's just a natural part of the game. At the same time, some people are committed to the idea that the rules exist for them to outsmart the game, and that loss is just as real as losing a game of Uno. And some just see death and loss as part of the story. It seems this is one of the golden questions that should come up in every session zero. But until now, I never thought of it. How do you feel about character death, permanent injuries, losing magic items, etc.? And how do you want your character's story to end? Like you boys already pointed out, the answer could determine the system you play. Kids on bikes, for example, more or less avoids character death entirely. While Traveler, on the other hand, allows your character to die during character creation! 
The other thing that's, that's, that's hilarious. That's true. He, that's hilarious he nailed true. two of them that are very, very good. Yes, complete polar opposites. One thing I've done to mitigate these feelings of loss is giving players the option to adopt an NPC they like as their new character in the event of a player death. While this option is rarely utilized, it has made some of my favorite characters in campaigns as a DM. Another thing I've done is try and use those feelings of loss to motivate the players against my big bad guy since it softens the blow a little if they have obvious punching bag for their frustrations. Best regards, Aaron. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get to, Aaron, the, your last statement there. He's got a PS in there, Brett. Oh, does he? Oh, good grief, I missed it. PS, if you ever want a, a game run or if you're ever ready to make that down payment on my Arizona Swamp Land, just let me know. <laughs> awesome. But what I was going to say there, before I forgot that piece, it reminds me a little bit of um, what we talked about just with math about different types of loss and that and that idea of motivating people like yes this thing just happened what does it do to you what has it done your character has struggled through something i think this is something that you know if sergeant dan were playing in this type of game and the way he talks about how he wants to have characters tell their story and stuff if his character encounters some tragic loss what Sergeant Dan's going to do is say, you know what? This has taken my character, and now his story has... That's a new chapter. It's a new page. It's a piece. This is part of what's making this character's tale this incredibly fucking cool thing to do, which is awesome. And it doesn't... Utilizing those bits of loss as a springboard and not a pit trap, right? I think that's important. Because we've all had those players that go, well, if I can't have my magic sword, I guess I can't have anything. I was supposed to be the king, and now it turns out I'm not. Ugh. We all get like that sometimes where we're like, oh, wow, I had this really cool shit and it's all gone now. Something bad happened. The dice failed me. Um, I'm taking prisoner. Oh, fuck, I might as well quit. Dude, this is a chapter in your character's life. This is Conan was once king. Christ, I think he was captured and beaten down at least twice in the official canon by uh, Robert E. Howard, you know, where everything was taken away from him. He had to fight his way back with a, you know, notched dagger type of thing. There's ways to do this. Use that as, again, the springboards to the pit trap. So I like the feeling of that. That's that's just cool. So thanks, Aaron. That was really cool. Sean, you got anything, Ben? No. I don't have anything to add to Aaron. That was good stuff. Next one's for you. Dan emails us on changing up your GMing style. Yep. Dan Asmodeus. Asmodeus. Either one. Carry on. Another great episode. I think it speaks to most GMs. Uh, we are always looking for ways to improve. I had one quick tip for Sean or anyone else who runs pre-published adventures without a ton of prep work. Highlighters. To where we, Brett and I I started cringed. cringing because you're writing in a book, <laughs> which just, for some reason, goes against every part of my upbringing. I don't know why. All right. Uh, I usually, oh, uh, highlighters, if you don't mind marketing your books. I usually pre-read a few pages before the game begins. I will yellow highlight the text I want to read when they first enter the room. I blue highlight names or things I need to remember. I suck at remembering names, and when I make it up, I go back through. I make I go back through the back and change it. Oh, smart! I then pink highlight traps or treasure that seems important. <laughs> Dan. I could just imagine what your book looks like, man. It's got to be like I'll tell rainbow. you what, though, dude, if it works, <laughs> this is a – I like this. This is pretty smart because you don't have to – there's no three-by-five cards. There's no little side notes. You don't have a separate piece of paper with it. You, you've you got a mechanism here. 
They're like, oh, yellow this, blue this, pink is that, blah, blah, blah. This is cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, I throw in those highlights as I see. Oh, I'm sorry. The way I run the game. Uh, blah, 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 yeah. The way I run the game, I know the players have to get, excuse me, from point A to point B. I throw in those highlights as I see fit. This isn't always perfect. Plenty of time I find myself correcting something I missed. So you guys remember the last body you searched, blue highlight. Well, he had a key to the door you are now stuck at. Whoops, I, re- I read that. I read too fast and forgot to highlight that last, that key last session. Uh, listening to the new episode now, Dan. I used to do this. I actually used to do this. For the Living Force campaign, I started out with like yellow, blue, and orange because I think it was the three different color highlighters I had. And I started doing it, and I was just like, this is just a pain in the butt for me. Um, but if this is, but working, I did, I was if like, this is working for Dan, this is kind yeah. of slick. And this is one of those pieces you could grab a small PDF adventure or something, and you could get PDF annotators. So you can highlight stuff electronically, so on and so forth. But anything that helps you quickly find the shit you need, and that's what he's doing. That's pretty slick. Don't know if it's for me because of writing in a book and some weird paralyzation effect that causes in my nervous system. But I love the idea of being able to customize your way through it. And yeah, I mean, as Dan said, he's going to have a mistake or two, but whatever, he knows where everything is. If he goes back, goes, fuck, there's supposed to be a key. It's in blue because he highlighted it. It helps. It's going to speed things up quite a bit. That's pretty cool. Thanks, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I think you're, you're still in the chat. Look at VC. <laughs> VC. Went through the entire chat and pulled out all the times. Oh, I love that guy. So it looks like what? I don't even know who. Everybody go over. I think we had 3220. 29. Uh, we'll figure it out. Oh, we'll figure I thought it you were going to say Vise went through and highlighted everyone in the chat. So no, no. He, he took all the times <laughs> when we would have our audio issue and like went through the street, the chat. Anyways, nice thanks, VC. Thank you, sir. I might have to tap you and see who is the winner. All right, let's get in the main topic. Let's do it. All right. Alrighty, Brett. What are we talking about this week? Well, Terry, or otherwise known as Azad from our forums, he had two different things he wanted to bring up. I think we're only going to get through one. So I'm going to just start with, he had curses and illusions. And I want to start with curses. And uh, we'll see if um, how we do with this one, and then we'll jump into it. So he started by saying, hey, you know, this is something that he's not sure has come up on the show. But cursed items and illusions are something that every newbie DM and even some veterans struggle with getting their arms around. I've seen... This is uh, Terry talking. I've seen uh, most people just ignore these things in my 40 plus years as a DM in their games. Sort of, I don't acknowledge it and then I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> Hell, I was guilty of this, says Terry, because it wasn't something I felt comfortable with for a long time. How to help a struggling DM grasp the idea of these topics, because they can be great fun. The, the idea of curses, I want to start with curses, Sean, and then we'll see if we've got some time to get into illusions. But Terry specifically talked about cursed items. I should be clear. So you pick up that sword. It's uh, a minus two cursed sword. You can't get rid of it. It's a javelin that's a minus three backbiter. You throw it, it comes back around. Or something that you're stuck with this thing. Right? I th- um, one of the reasons that I like this idea was because it happened to Zave in the Undermountain campaign. The first glowing magic sword we have, Zave being Zave, is like, oh, I picked that up. 
Didn't let anybody identify it. No detect magic. Oh, it looks magic. I pick it up. He was stuck to it. He could not put it down. He was an archer. He's our ranger archer dude. He could not fire a bow, I think, for the first four levels of his character. He was stuck using this longsword. And he was terrible with it. He was just absolutely terrible with it. It was very frustrating. And we had plenty of fun asking him how the hell he went to the bathroom or ate with this permanently affixed longsword to his right hand. What a pain in the ass. And it was, it became such a hand-wavy, jokey thing. Like, oh, it's an inconvenience. But it was more annoying than an actual role-playing opportunity. Alpha and I have talked about it uh, post-fact. And, and we both said, man, cursed items? If it's if the curse doesn't have some kind of flavor to it or some kind of a cool story or something that it does beside being stuck with you, you can't get rid of it type of thing. It's, it seems kind of almost laughable in a way. So I could definitely see where Terry's talking there where sometimes you'd be like, look, I'm not even fucking deal with it. This is just a pain in the ass. I'm not even going to deal with it. So, Sean, um, let me gut check you here. Do you, you have you in the past used cursed magic items as a DM? And how many times Man, have you given them to Jeff? I cannot remember the last time I implemented any type of cursed item. Really? Oh, it has been so long ago. Why are you not? And why I, are you not doing it? I don't know, but I think Curse of Strahd would be very apt to throw oh, that totally in there. Totally be apt to throw that in there, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. So, our my group would probably, I don't know, it would probably. Uh, behoove them to listen to this show because they'd probably know what's coming down the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> have you as a player ever had the cursed item where you picked it up? Like, ah, oh yeah. Do you have a yeah. do you have a memory of one? I I vaguely remember picking one up a long time ago and I I can't remember the the whole it, it had to do with something like Oh, I don't know. It, it screwed me over somehow. I can't remember the specifics. The classic for us back in the first and second edition days was you would pick up a, a sword. Like, ooh, it's magical. I pick it up. It's minus two. It's minus one. But it's your favorite sword. Right. I take it away from him. He'll fight you. What? Really? I don't want to fight him. I want to take it. No, you don't. It's a curse. This is your favorite sword. You need a remove curse cast upon you or a wish or something to get rid of it. The... um. Those are they're, they're such a mechanical disadvantage curse. It's like clunk, there you go, minus one and everything. And that's just a it's kind of boring, right? There's no flair to it. There's no oh, every once in a while, Elric from the uh, uh from the you know, Stormbringer, his sword from Michael Moorcock stuff. Stormbringer is arguably a cursed blade. The rune sword tries to get Elric to murder people constantly because it wants to drink their souls. Granted, it feeds Elric and helps him, you know, because the poor little albino needs all the juice he can get to keep going and use his sorcery and so on. I'm actually rereading some of the, uh, reread the first one, and I'm now working my way through the Elric books because I was a slack ass as a kid and didn't read them. Anyway, it's a big ass cursed blade. And I think that curse, to me, has more features to it than something as mundane as a, oh, it's minus one, you can't get rid of it. And the reason I say that is because Elric is torn. Do I get rid of this thing? Do I not get rid of this thing? The benefits are pretty good. I'm kind of stuck with it. If I get rid of it, what if somebody else has it? So there's moral and ethical choices that go involved that are involved in that. 
when you have just a minus one or minus two sword and you pick it up, okay, what do I have to do to get rid of it? And it can easily derail a campaign depending on the player who gets it. Quite frankly, I remember distinctly certain people in my high school group just being goddamn babies. I don't want to play. Similar to Lost talk that we just had. I don't play anymore. My character's useless. My paladin's got a minus two sword. It fucking sucks. You know, it, it, it can kind of stop everything dead if it's a boring cursed item. What do you think about that, Sean? Does that strike a chord with so you? So the you trick think? is to not make it boring. Is that what you're telling me, Brett? Just like cursed items across the board, just don't make them boring. Like what would not make them boring? Like I think it's interesting when they're like a minus two and all that other good stuff. However, what happens if when they throw it away, it like comes back? They can get rid of it, but it shows up. It just shows up. It just keeps <laughs> coming back. <laughs> it just keeps coming back. It's in your it's in your scabbard. What? Where's the sword I just put in it? That one's gone. This one's here. Son of a bitch. Or it doesn't matter what sword they get, they are cursed at minus one. I throw that sword away. Good for you. You got a new sword, huh? That one's minus one too. Son there of was, a bitch. There, you know. there was one in Tomb of Annihilation that, but it was the guy should have never got it. It pisses me off to this day. But the the Ring of Winter, it's I don't know. It's not really cursed. It's a it's a uh, minor relic or minor artifact. But it, it's, it takes possession of the person and talks to him and wants, you know, persuades him to do evil stuff to, to further its own agenda, right? But, you know, it's powerful. So players are like, oh, I'll tune to it. And it'll be like, awesome, dude. I will like rain, snow, and ice on everybody. And then they do. And then it's like, yay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for me, having that, hmm. The other, having it be very mundane, a mundane type of curse, I think is one thing. However, like, how do you get rid of it? Well, you have to remove, do, remove, remove curse. curse. Okay, that's there. That's neat. What happens when you can't find that? Is there no other way? You know, there were uh, old school um, AD&D used to, hey, you want to destroy an artifact, you had to, like, crush it under the heel of an honest man. You had to find a... The ice cube at the heart of a volcano. You had to do these obscure, bizarre what? things. <laughs> Damn, what kind of DD did you play, you man? You never read the book, apparently. Uh, under the I, under I, the heel, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Under the heel of an honest ant is actually a, that's a quote from one of them. Uh, oh, God. Just goof. Go, is that high guy Gax? Probably. It's it's that oh. kind of um, an epic level. Oh my God! Huge, huge very stuff. Verbato, verbose. Yeah, very verbose. Yes. Um, not much vibrato, but a lot of verbosity. Bravado. Not a lot of verbosity. Yes. Anyway. Bravervos. <laughs> but I think those, from a player's perspective, if I have a cursed item, that if my character gets one, like the magic sword I got in Undermountain, its ego and its intelligence is probably going to be a son of a bitch for my guy. At a certain point, I'm going to be like, I don't want to do that. And it's going to say, yes, you will. And I'm not going to have much choice because my charisma, I've got a minus one in my role. I'm going to have a hell of a time arguing with this stupid intelligent blade. Uh, I shouldn't say stupid. This overly intelligent blade compared to my character's charisma. It's just more demanding. The cool part, though, is that the things that it wants my character to do are like, oh, I need more adornment. I could use some more gems. Fine. It's going to be annoying. I've got, we we go to a treasure pile. It automatically can identify um, the most expensive gem in the treasure pile, and it wants it immediately. I have to then argue with the other player characters. I need that. Well, for what? Because my sword wants it. That's stupid. Yeah, but my sword wants it. That's a piece of a curse, effectively, in my mind. Because now I have conflict within the party where I've got to deal with this stupid problem. 
just because the sword's really powerful. I, I want this thing. I think the minus one, minus two, the very simple backbiter, the ring that is um, of the ring. Uh, we used to joke, a buddy of my head, the ring of visibility instead of invisibility. It made you like <laughs> uber visible. You could not fucking hide. So thieves would have like, you, <laughs> and the, the, the thief, would be like, oh, it's a ring. It, you know, identifies as a ring of invisibility unless you check it very specifically. The thief's like, oh, I fucking want that. Whoop. And now he is like, you know, a 5% chance to be, to hide in shadows because he's cast in a glow constantly. Huge pain in his ass. But if it's just a huge mechanical draw, then all it turns into is, how do I get rid of this thing? And I think, much like you ran into this a little bit with Jeff, his character having the curse put on him in um, Tomb Annihilation, where he you know, was kind of undead, kind of not, this struggle. You were smart enough to have it be something you could play your way through, maybe find a way out of it. You talk to me off the mics, like, look, there's there's ways, there's things you could do. But if it's just a raw mechanical penalty that's almost in the save or die method, or it's almost in the I'm sorry, bad die roll, you're just fucked. And it's this weird um I can't remember there's a Schadenfraud. Is that the I can't never pronounce I can't I can't never showing showing for Yeah, that whole I'm I'm laughing because you're in pain type right. of concept. Like, hee hee, you're turning the barrel, asshole. You have the you have the cursed dagger. It's not always fun to be the, the butt of all the jokes at the table, right? Now, granted, when it was Zave, it was fun because I've known Zave for three years. We picked on him. And, but not every not every group wants to deal with that shit. You know what I'm saying? So in Curse of Strahd, Sean, if you were to drop a cursed item on somebody, how would you... Would it just be a plain minus one? Or would you tack something else in it? Because Barovia, that whole realm, has these wonderful gothic things you can do. You know, the blade drinks blood. It moans in ecstasy every time it stabs somebody. That's weird. <laughs> it's creepy, you know. But what, what are you thinking with that? I, I uh, have to think it through because I I would... It sounds kind of heavy-handed, but I would probably base it on who picks it up. I think that's a good way to go, honestly. If you if you think of a I, curse that yeah. would infect or impact, not in fact, in fact, it would be one way to impact them. But you're impacting the character and kind of having um, a tailor-made curse instead of like you just you poor fucker, you now get stuck with the plus minus two. That's boring. That's mundane. But if I pick this up, I'm like, oh shit, Frodo, he has the ring of power. Gandalf tells him repeatedly, "You were meant to have it. This is just how it is." Frodo was like, "I wish I didn't have this." Too fucking bad, says Gandalf. You're meant to have it. You're stuck with it, kid. Right? I'm totally, totally well, oversimplifying that discussion. But I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want the minus two. I. So the thing that would piss people off about cursed items, I wouldn't want that to be like the thing. I would probably want it to be. Uh, you know, I got a cursed item. Wonderful. So what I would probably do, for example, is if you're a rogue. And you're always to be stealthy, then you're not. Or <laughs> it's it's very hard. Right? So it's always like if it's dark, it always makes noise. Cause it's a, it's afraid of the dark. I can't remember which listener it is that wrote in about this. We talked about magic items at higher level and they brought up the Earth Dawn rules. Where magic item unlocks different powers as you level up, right? It kind of grows okay. with you. Yep. 
So think of a progressive cursed item for that rogue. Right? It's really cool. That's great. It works perfectly fine. And then they wait then they they wake up with a level of exhaustion. Why? Because they're sleepwalking. For example, Spider-Man, the first time he got his black outfit, which was in Secret Wars 2, for the who for those who know, and it's this symbiotic weird little critter. Spider-Man woke up one time swinging through New York City because the suit was having fun. And he was he'd wake up exhausted and like what the fuck is going on? Why am I so tired? It's like I didn't sleep at all. You didn't. The suit was flying around with you while you were asleep, right? Eventually you get venom and other problems. But if your thief has this pair of really super sneaky boots, right? Oh, this guy got boots of open kind. Great. They're cursed. Two nights later, he's like, you have a level of exhaustion. Why? You just your, your knees hurt. You like your, your arms are scratched up. You, it, you look like you walked blindly through a through a bramble patch. What? Really? No one saw me? No. Well, wasn't I on guard? You know what? That's kind of a fuzzy thing to you. Give me a give me a wisdom check. Yeah, no, you don't remember that at all. You don't even remember being on watch. It's like you zoned out. Ah, fuck. All right, so figure out and then just have it build. You know, one level of exhaustion, two levels of, of exhaustion. And like, I got to do something about this. This is no good. Can you appease the boots? Because there's something you can do to stop them. You know what I'm saying? I like what, what you said about making it character driven. I would tack on the idea of having it escalate or grow or change more impactful. Like, huh, that's weird. I don't know why that caused that problem. Eh, Whatever. And then come to find out, you know, Elric, as I said, with Stormbringer, every once in a while is like, um, we fighting or not? And he's like, no, I don't want to fight. But he's a friend of mine. Mm, nope, sorry. Blades out. Kill time. Stab, stab, stab. Well, and I think there's a difference between having an intelligent item and a cursed item. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> there can well, be. Well, there can be. What I'm saying is if there's any downside to the magic item, it's effectively a curse. Yeah. Well, and, and it's... Because if you want to keep it, and there's a downside to it. Yeah, sure. So you've got this great blade. It's just bloodthirsty. What does that mean? Well, um, every time you want to parlay with anybody, anytime you make a charisma check, you're at minus four. You're at disadvantage. You have uninspiration. You 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 fail them automatically. Something bad happens because it just it's it's just screaming in your head. Kill him. It'd be easy if you killed him. It'd just be simple. You could take him. You could take him. You could take him. Yeah, that crap in your head, that's a curse that is more entertaining to me than it's minus two. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, uh, you got to curse the weapon and it's minus two all the time against everything. And I, I mean, some of those items, they are the suck, in my opinion. Like those are just kind of crappy to have. Oh, and by the way, you can never get rid of it unless you get... You know, remove curse, and even then, it doesn't get rid of it. You know, then it's then that is the suck. But I think if it's like the Duke of Purple mentions, like if it's conditional, and you're mentioning, you know, it's under these circumstances, it does this. Yes. You know, even even with Sting, like right, you can you you got the sword, and your orcs are nearby, and it starts to glow. Yeah, great. That's right? that's helpful. Like, that's how a blessing and a curse, depending. Right. That's a that's it, a feature and a bug. Depending. Oh, orcs are nearby, but now it's glowing and everybody can see it. And I got to have it out if I want to stab an orc. Yeah. So. And every time you pull out orcrest, they scream, "Oh my god!" It's you know, goblin cleaver. 
it's biter and beater and they go crazy and they charge after the people who own them and want to destroy them. Ah, uh, fuck. It's plus against orcs, so you got that going for you. But they single you out, you know. Yeah, so I think there's these weird dynamics that you can use, specifically with cursed items, that doesn't have to be completely the suck. It's got to be this weird trade-off where it's like, oh, it glows in the dark. Isn't that awesome? So we have light spell all the time. Yep, yes, you do. All the time. Yeah, try to sleep. No matter what. Like, you hide it. Like, I would even love to do that where if they put it behind some clothing, it just radiates through the clothing. Yeah, you've got to sheath it. You can't just, you can't have the blade out of the sheath. As soon as right, you- it's got to be in the only way. The only way to squash it is to put it in the sheath. The the sheath it came with. The one- The sheath it yeah, came with. Yeah, the, the, like the, the one that has the black opals on it. Yeah. What? Really? Can't be any sheath? No, it has to be that. If you unsheath that blade, it's daylight. Ah, fuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got a light spell all the time. Anytime you want it. But whenever you don't want it, it's always lit. And, well, unless you have it in the sheath. And if you have it in the sheath, you can't pull it out. So you got to wait. <laughs> exactly. So it's like those, those I think, idiosyncrasies that I think would be pretty cool to implement. And, and frankly, with those, it's, you know, it's funny with these, like, items, right? You could say it's cursed and not let the – and then the person can give it up willingly. Or you say – Somebody in the party has to have it. Like they have to have it. There's a desire for somebody in the party to possess it. Because one of the things that I would want, we could give it. You could give it to a true friend. Well, I wouldn't want somebody to get stuck with it. Yeah. So, but who who do they want to give it to? Back back home, give it to your high school sweetheart. Go back home and give it to your dad. Who you're going to give this thing to? Well. Yeah, and you got to have a player character carry it around, and maybe they do get rid of it, or how do they get rid of it? So is it remove curse, or is it an ant's heel, or whatever? Yeah. Uh, my buddy Nick actually did something similar to this in a Star Wars game. He used uh, Force Ghosts. Um, uh, JR's character had found this cool antique lightsaber, blah, 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 and it was essentially possessed. It was a pain in the ass. It was really neat, one of a kind, but for Christ's sake, <laughs> would get lectured about, you know, X, Y, or Z with the blade every fucking time. Kind of annoying. I think those, yeah, the old school, it's minus one. That sucks. Remove curse. Moving on. That's a speed bump. That's the, it's almost the argument. I know some people love that stuff and no harm, no foul. If that's your shtick, that's your game, do your thing. You're having fun. Y'all like it. Keep going. But it's almost in that same vein of, um, you know, why is the door locked if there's no reason for it to be locked? Right. Why do I have to roll to pick the lock if there's no if failure is not interesting, right? It's in a it's in the vein of that. It's not necessarily the same thing. But I guess <clears throat> when I saw this, I thought about poor Zave with his uh, cursed sword. It was stuck in his hand. He could not literally could not take it out of his hand. Um and we at a certain point I went, How the hell do you take a shit with that thing on? He's like, Yeah, this is annoying. I'm like, Can you pull your pants up without that on with that stupid thing? It's You've got a three-foot piece of steel in your hand. That's just annoying. Walking around, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, my God, this is terrible. And it's comical and okay, I guess. But that's the – it became a comical annoyance and not really a story beat of any kind. There was nothing interesting about it. It was just something that eventually we just handwove the fact that he probably should wake up with a level of exhaustion every day. Because he's sleeping with a goddamn four-foot piece of steel stuck to his hand. 
He can't sleep. He can't get rest. I don't know. What, what's the impact of that type of thing? You know, it just became this stupid thing. And I think in order for any kind of curse, anything you want to put on there, have it be more than just a ha-ha, you have disadvantage in all your roles. Having it be to the character. I like that idea, as you say. I like the idea of having it be a nuisance, borderline blessing curse, and then having it perhaps ratchet up. Different problems get worse and worse and worse the longer you have it. You can get rid of it freely, perhaps. The the escalation piece would be tough because then you're like, eventually it's going to hit dickhead level. Oh, eventually something horrible happens to you. Like like Lenny's character in Avalon turns into a vampire because he ignored it long enough. I, I'm thinking like what uh, the contest would be good is to create a cursed item that doesn't screw over a player character completely. So one that comes to mind is like a helm of disguise, helm of disguise, where you put the helm on and you look, you, you feel and look better. Like you feel like a movie star. You look attractive sexy even and then everybody else looks at you and they see like a troll yeah <laughs> but you, it's never you can never figure it out because every time you look you're like you put it in a mirror you're like i look great right this is the idealized version of me how could this possibly be bad so it nukes kind of the charisma right maybe yeah and everyone sees the converse version of the best of you yeah yeah the only bad thing in that piece is if you create like a bard who's Mr. Or Mrs. Charisma, and then they have that, it, it really kind of turns their whole world upside down. That's what happened with, you know, the minus two, the minus three, the backbiter. If it's like the blade you have, right? Oh, I have a uh, cursed magic sword. Fuck. I'm a fighter. This is me. I'm sword guy. I stand in front and now I'm stuck. I can't get rid of it. It can be this very, I guess, in order for it to not to be, not campaign ending, and not like, not to always lean, not not always, but not to go back to the loss topic we had before, but not to just be a complete downer. Have the curse interesting is what we're going on about here. And I think then it changes the tone. Then that fighter who's stuck with the blade goes, huh, interesting. You know, I just picture that that helm where the person's like, oh, I got this. And they're trying to negotiate things. And people are like, what? You are gross. You are just ugly as hell. And you're like, what are you talking about? Being all suave and debonair. And you're everybody's just looking at you. Like, and you what? look like a, you look like a, right. yeah, you look like an ogre with leprosy who's drunk. That's how you sound. You know, you sound like a drunk like, control. What? This is terrible. I know some people that would eat that up. They would just be like, yep, barred right out the window. I give a shit. They would just, they would ride that thing like it was freaking stolen. And that's where I think I love the idea you have is like, there's a cursed item. Whoever picks it up, I'm going to tune this thing and make sure the curse fits the owner. And there's a level of intelligence, malevolence, if you will, intelligent malevolence in the curse that, oh, a wizard's picked me up, huh? Neat. Oh, a thief today? Oh, that poor bastard won't know what hit him, right? Now, having it have that little bit of intelligence to it where it just is tweaked or, or whatnot, or just the nature of the curse. If it's cursed by a god, gods are weird, finicky, bizarre-ass critters, and they've got reasons of their own, you know? 
I just think that that is how, again, beating this horse here, that is how I've had the most luck. Having fun with it as a player where I ended up with something or having my players have fun when I give them such things. Hi, huh. This is a, this is now a challenge. It's got some really cool benefit to it. Or at least I think it has a benefit to it. I don't want to listen to other people or you know or whatever the case is. Like, dude, you look like a, you know, a leprous troll who's drunk and on meth. No, I don't. I look great. Oh god. You <laughs> won't take the helmet off, you know. <laughs> Something that like that prevents a player character from making a decision. That's just <laughs> That's just a dungeon door, dude. <laughs> just, yeah, uh, I don't know what to yeah. do. <laughs> that's a. Sometimes you get you get if you if you have that though, then you get into that's a T intersection. That's a T intersection in the road. Where do you go? Right or left? Oh, yeah. Well, that yeah. you could get into a lot of trouble there if somebody's like takes it too too much too far because then they're they're in combat and they're like, okay, what do you you know? It's your initiative, like. Uh, I don't know what to do. Do I hit him or do I run? Uh, I think having some mechanical components to the curse can be very helpful, right? So the negative piece comes up in your in character. Yeah, double disadvantage or disadvantage or negative fifty-two on your percentile roll to try to use your any charisma type ability. The other thing is like, look at a certain point. Every time you use this weapon in combat or this armor, this shield, and you roll a this. Give me a percent roll, a check of some kind. Oh, you're frozen this round. Ah, fuck, it happened. It doesn't happen often. It's one in 20. But guess what? You're frozen. You're back next round, but you're frozen this round. Son of a bitch. Yeah, the magic roll to see if it happens thing. Oh, yeah, shit. and that, oh, uh, shit. And roll. it's a random thing where, you, the. I mean, and that's, that's it's in the player's hands. You roll, dude. Right. It's your turn, Eileen. Your character's cursed. She's got this blade. Let's see what happens. And she rolls and goes, well, um, I guess I attack Sean. Why? Because Blade said so. Son of a bitch. She'll be done next round. She'll be done next round. Hey, you're cursed, not me. <laughs> Why is it going to be on me? Sorry. Sorry. This is full attack, too. She can't pull. She can't hold back. <laughs> oh, and she gets a, and she gets sneak attack. because I, you're I think something. Bow. I think the if I were to do it, I would probably do it where... The person feels compelled to like say something and they have to say like they have to interject or it has to be funny or there's they're like the pun guy or something like it, something that doesn't screw over anybody, but they have to do like it pro compels them to do something all the time. Like everything's a joke or whenever somebody asks you a question, you have to respond with a joke, You something you think. Is it's funny, funny, right? Yeah, like the wizard, the wizard who's like the that you know tenth level wannabe archmage has to speak in rhymes, um, <laughs> or um, you know the 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 druid um, can't use the word earth. If you give a <laughs> response to Mark CMG Clover is in the chat. If you give a response to a question, you have to respond sarcastically, or you have to answer every <laughs> you have to answer every question with a question. You yeah, cannot you right. cannot make statements. Everything's yeah. a question. <laughs> But you it's must, only that. It's only you, that, right? That's you have the to only thing that happens. Every time you talk, <laughs> oh, I said this upwards inflection. You have to talk like this <laughs> all the time. <laughs> oh man, that <laughs> would be that's hilarious. Where, that's where the rest of the table just turns on you and pummels you to death.
It's like some, what would do that though? Then you have to tie it into like a theme, right? Like, is it yeah. is it a cane and that cane from came from something or a robe, a hat, yeah, a brooch, a necklace, a right bracelet, something. And I love the idea of having these pieces have some kind of a benefit that makes you like it makes you weigh. Do I want to get rid of this thing? Yeah, once every five attacks, there's a chance that I have to attack Sean. But it's a really good sword. There's only a 10% chance every time I start a combat that it could be rooted to the ground and can't move. I'm willing to roll those dice. I mean, I know players that'll eat that up. You know, it, I can hide in shadows. It's great. I can do all this stuff. There's a 5% chance that the that the cloak of elven kind turns into the cloak of, you know, ballroom dancing. And it's just suddenly a big-ass glitter ball or something. It's only 5%, oh. though. Oh, it's 5%. Yeah. It's disco, 5%. Disco cape. Yeah. It's 5% disco cape, you know? All LEDs <laughs> light up on it. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, this robe of eyes is wicked, but every once in a while, I, I can't help it. I go blind. I have the robe of eyes. It's wicked. I can see all these directions. You see the ethereal, all this great stuff. However, at the start of every day, <laughs> I roll a die, and the game master tells me if I'm blind or not. If you're ah, blinded, yeah. If I'm blind, for how Shit. long? I don't know. Who knows? You know, it, it's, I suppose it's just, it could be a while. Might not be. And having it be a, this, it has this really cool benefit, but there's this negative to it. Again, those things are the pieces that I have found when I've put that type of thing out there. My players eat that shit up because now it's a decision to make. And the group will. I've had the group go. You should get rid of that, says one person. And then Lenny's like, Yeah, but. And Zave's like, Yeah. It's actually, I mean, what are the odds? And then someone like Beta goes, well, they're one in five, you dick. It clearly says one in five. Yeah, but I roll like crap. I, this, just, this is okay. I think we might need this. You know, people argue keeping this shit all the time because it has a benefit. I don't want to let the benefit go. And the chance of negative is so minimal. There's something to be said about a cursed item that does have a benefit, right? Like, hey, man, I could really, like, it, it works or does this all the time, which is really great. But... <laughs> I have you. One of my favorite things to do with cursed items, just in that vein, is this bowl. It's a wooden bowl. It was made by a druid. Has a spoon to match with it, and you can and you can eat out of it, right? You can eat from it every day. Creates food, whatever. Creates food. Yeah, it nice. is bland and tasteless. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh. If you do that, though, you can eat nothing else, right? That's all you can eat. That's all you can consume the whole day. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's that's weird. And then after five days of that, you find you have no taste buds. Like, oh, lovely, neat. Or if I, the only way I could eat is to use this fork, or the only way I can drink is to drink out of this cup. I can drink anything I want, but I have to use this stupid goblet. <laughs> the goblet is wonderful. It makes everything refreshing, and it tastes like sparkling mineral water, and it's just beautiful and just wonderful mountain spring, and I can drink nothing else but out of this goblet. And everything you pour into it turns into mountain spring water. Oh, that's pretty neat. And now you're stuck with it. So your 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 wonderful beer guzzling dwarf is stuck with this gorgeous crystalline glass, and she's looking at this thing, going, "I don't even like wine, but I'm now stuck with this thing, and the only thing I can drink out of it is rosé. That's lovely." You know, and the other, and somebody else is like, "Oh, this is great." I 
my character's a bard, so on and so forth. The scent of the scent of food makes me sick. Why? It just does. The scent of roast meat makes you sick. Well, no, good luck playing in inns, taverns, and so forth. You know, those little nuancey things that are annoying, that are bothersome. You know, it just makes something happen. Like, oh, you have that? That's great. You can see the ethereal plane. And you're colorblind, too, by the way. What? Yeah, you can only see black and white now. Oh. Well, people live like that. Yeah, they totally do. People live there absolutely colorblind. It's fine. It's not like you're going to die, but you can no longer see color. Oh. Okay. Huh. Well, so that could be a big deal when you start running into the puzzles that are color-coded and stuff, right? Like, what you can't figure this out. You don't know. It just looks like circle, square, triangle. Yeah, or you, you know, just, or you lose a language. Hey, you have this thing. This is great. It's an elven cloak and boots. You can no longer speak orc. You can no, you cannot speak Dwarven while you have this stuff for mm. some reason. Because the maker of it, maker of this device, for whatever reason, despise this group of people. You can't do whatever. Or the first time you encounter orcs, you're like, I have a horrible bloodlust. I can't stop myself. I charge them. Why? Uh, cloak and boots. You mean the things that help you hide and sneak? Yep. Sorry. Gotta go. <laughs> and you're like, where the fuck did that come from? Well, now I know it's there. I can, I can figure it out. It, again, I just... Anyway kind of long way around lots of different crazy ass examples here folks but i think that's the for me making cursed items again they could be spice items star wars anything you want just having having it be of interest like that is so much more entertaining and i think your players will be willing to deal with it more than if you go ha ha here's a minus three sword because it has the even if you don't actually say ha ha it has the unspoken ha ha yeah, buried totally. in it yeah. So get rid of that, and I think you got a better chance. Cool, man. You good? Yeah, man. I've, oh. I've got kooky ideas going through my brain. It's good. I want you to pull this out in Ravenloft. That's the other reason. Once you started Ravenloft, I'm like, we got to talk about this because I think cursed items in Ravenloft, it, it's just custom made for it. Man. You know, a dagger that moans in ecstasy every time it backstabs somebody. Oh. You know, a, ne- a, ne- <laughs> a, a necklace that ever a necklace that drinks your blood. In order to give you a power, it like pricks your neck, right? And drains a little bit of your blood in order to satisfy its, you know, whatever. I mean, it, all that shit is there. And it can, it should be that gothic, creepy fucking crap, too. I love it. Yeah. That's for sure. Awesome. We'll, we'll do illusions another time, but I just wanted to at least touch on curses today. You ready? So if you have an interesting curse, we want to know about it. Or if your character, if you, if not necessarily, if, if, if you personally have an interesting curse and you'd like to discuss it, maybe we can help you break it. I don't know, humble ant, but I'll do my best. Um, but if you've got uh, curses that you have dropped on characters, if you've had dropped on you, um, cursed items and so on that you thought were interesting, I think this type, this is the type of topic for me that is, it's just designed to be inspirational. Like, hey, what's, give me an idea, give me a thing, get your mind cooking. Like did for Sean and I tonight. So hopefully we did the same back for you. And if you got something to share, share it. Love to hear it. Yeah. Love to hear it. Let's get in die roll. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points game and a geekery we want to bring to you. All right. First one, Brett, here's the one for you, man. Virtual tabletop. New one. Owlbear Rodeo. Super light, dude. You literally create an instance. You go to the link. You put in a password. You make the password up, like right there on the spot. 
and you share the link with the rest of your players and you just drop stuff on it. I just did it right now. It, it's that fast. You're not kidding. And you just drop the tokens on the right, just drop them on the board. You there is a fog of war, but it's like you it's kind of weird. But Mike Mike Shea, Sly Flourish pointed it out this week and I'm like, "Wow, he's like he uses it. He uses that cuz I think he's more of a theater of mind guy. He doesn't want to get bogged down with the, the foundry stuff like I do or roll 20." So, yeah. Huh. I figured you know, if you uh I'll have to play with it. What the hell? Yep. yep. So, yeah, that's a good one to check out for folks that might need something just to do on the fly. Yeah, it's got quick grids, just a bunch of little things. Well, it's like the, yeah, and you don't have to upload any. You just put the tokens on there. And I think he said the guys who created it did it because COVID broke out and went online. And they they didn't want something too fancy. You know, oh, you could take some, a pog and you can grow its size. Like I could yes. take something down from one square, like one five five. I can jack it up so that it's one, two, three, four, five, five. You do a box. Six, six by six. You can do a, a box die. You're right. Uh, Very cool. M Duquest. Neat. Uh, and then second one, Thunder Pants RPG on Twitch. We mentioned Brett brought this up. So before we recorded, what's Thunder Pants RPG, Brett? Yeah, so Thunderpants RPG is a really cool. Um, I, I should start from the top. So, one of um, the folks I've met on Twitters, on the Twitters, is uh, Maurice. Maurice is a really cool dude. Um, he got it, he started following us and kind of got paying attention to gaming BS. And he's an outdoors type of guy. So, he and I share a little bits of things here and there. And um, he said that he's like, hey, could you give a little love to this? to this year it's streaming on twitch helps out new players there's a lot of work with minorities or lgbtq folks um and maurice is like they're doing really good work he gets to play bring some um diversity and so forth and um maurice and his husband are really cool people i've chatted with them on uh on twitter and stuff so i thought hey you know when there's cool people out there doing cool shit in the hobby i want to bring it out there because there's so much happening like we just like sean just showed me holy crap Oliver rodeo that's cool that's new if we don't if we don't share this stuff we don't know what's going on so check it out it's cool stuff if maurice thinks it's cool it's probably worth a check so cool uh number three in case you didn't hear it earlier it's making its rounds uh margaret and tracy suing wizards of the coast a little drama for you to check out who knows what whatever's going on there check it out and then um last one Black Wand Supply. Uh, they came across my Twitter feed, and they do like journals that you can buy. Some pretty cool stuff that you can use for your RPG. Cool RPG goods is what yeah, I. Yeah, handmade call it. leather goods and other adventuring supplies. Wallets, bags, containers, metal signs, magnets. Huh, neat looking stuff. Yeah. Ten foot poles. Oh, they're sold out of those. Damn it! I needed a good ten foot pole. You know. If we made a 10-foot pole, somebody would buy it. Totally. Absolutely. What would a 10-foot pole look like, Brett? It's it's a piece of wood that's cylindrical and 10 feet long. It's got to be wood? I don't necessarily know. It has to be wood. I would imagine. I mean, if it's in D&D, right? It's not metal. Could we be would metal. specifically try to... Um, what is the... Oh, the Rod of Lordly Might, which is the one of the, the coolest... Um, it's like the Leatherman of adventuring gear for D&D. It's really fun. 
I remember distinctly I was trying to find like get mithril at one point in a crazy ass campaign trying to make get a uh, 10 foot pole made out of mithril super light half the weight but strong and breakable because we used it for stuff we're doing that back in the old days. That would be the carbon fiber of D. The carbon fiber of TND. <laughs> yes, the mithril, the mithril ten foot pole. Yes. <laughs> All right, so cool, I think man. that that wraps it up for die roll. What are we talking about next week, Brett? We're talking about what is the role of the GM. This one is uh, Todd Grapper brought this up. So it's to inflict pain, pain. So we'll see what we think about that one there. All right, man. Sweet. Well, hey, thanks to everybody that showed up uh, during the live taping. This was this was filmed before a studio audience. A live studio audience. Live we, we, studio can, audience. we can't hear them clapping as we're booing us, which is nice <laughs> because it'd just be depressing. It was uh, it's good to see some people in the chat this evening. Uh, we record here Monday night at 8 p.m. Central Time U.S. Join us. Uh, and then we'll re- put this out on audio. So if, you, if, if you're on Twitch, do us a favor. Um, you know, like us, follow us, and subscribe. And uh, if you see this on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe. Otherwise, you can catch us in your favorite podcatcher of choice. Otherwise, that's it for tonight, ladies and gents. Uh, for this episode, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming in BS, produced by the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Craig Shipman, AWOL Trooper, Quigley Malcolm, Larry House, Obscurus Dominus, Isaiah Aries Christian, The Duke in Purple, Jay Plata, Phil McClory, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Jason Weeb, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Daniel Garrett, Jim Ingram, Curtis Hinson, Rory Weston, Mike Hess Jr., Ghost GM, Mark Sohm, Who's Carl, Eric Tavola, Henry Newcomb, Melissa Bashinsky, Harrigan, David F. Baylog, Brian Rumble, Jeff Goad, Niall Diamond, Corey Gonzalez, John Kayward, Jeff Seifert, Andy Olson, Eric Avia, Perry Besor, Laramie Wall, Brian Kurtz, Robert Nemeth, George Sedgwick, Eric Salzweedle, Angus, Howard Bishop, Craig Sky, Thomas Hook, Mark Richmond, Ron Bishop, Larry Hout, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Ray Otis, Jared Rasher, Stefan Dragonspawn, Roger Brasslett, Craig Huber, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Pure Mongrel, Mark Tasaka, Jason Hobbs, Chris Steele, Andy Hall, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Old School DM, Ed Nyes, Adam Grotejohn, Josh Wallace, Chad Glayman, Corey Welch, Brett Pazinski, Rich Wishon, Marco Froelich, Aaron Ralia, Curtis Takahashi, and Joe Swick. If you've enjoyed this episode of Gaming and BS, do us a favor, tell a friend. They can find us on their podcatcher of choice and anywhere they find their popular podcasts. Thanks, BSers. This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.